podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menes, and Baisley is back, fresh from plucking miracle catches at Optus Stadium. <laughs> I'm joined by James Baisley from the Adelaide Strikers and the Queensland Bulls. James, welcome back. How are you feeling? Thanks, Menes. It's good to be back on Cricket Unfiltered with you. I'm feeling great. Thank you. Um, Big Bash is wrapped up, so I look forward to talking a bit about that and um, lots of cricket since we last spoke. So it's going to be a good app. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to have you back. It was good to see you out there running around in the blue for the strikers and, um, you know, taking your annual leave from Cricket Unfiltered. Um, but, you know, you have to apply <laughs> for more leave if you get picked up by any more tournaments. Um, sure. So I, I, want, I wanted to talk about your reflections on the Big Bash, but I think it's first uh, it's just to, to I want to look at the test summer and some of the mm. fallout from Australia's defeat at the Gabba. And I have to say, you know, it was a fantastic test match on Sunday. I was so happy. You know, I, I know Australia lost, but Shamar Joseph, you know, that was a great performance. And sometimes, you know, I think it's it's good for Australia to lose because you, you then appreciate the wins. Uh, but then the day just went absolutely downhill because the Poms beat the Indians. And, you know, everyone was talking about, oh, you know, how good test cricket is. I was miserable about the Poms beating India. It was very tough to watch. So you were more miserable about the Poms beating India than Australia losing? Absolutely. Yep, definitely. <laughs> um, it's not a likeable bunch, the Poms. So. You're, you're, still, that, you're, go on. You're, still, you're still holding on from that Ashes series last year, aren't you? The best. Yeah, absolutely. Of, yeah, a lot of bad blood there. But, I mean, the <laughs> fact that England were trailing India by hmm. 190 runs in the first innings, the target was 230 for India, and... England won by 28 runs. Pope scored 196 runs. And debutant Hartley took seven for 62 on debut. Now, imagine how full of themselves, you know, Baz and Stokes are going to be now. Like, if they thought they were saving cricket before, if they go on to win this series in India, they will be insufferable. It will be huge, won't it? It will be huge. I mean... It's a good win, um, but it's only the first test, isn't it? Um, bowling first on that wicket seemed like it was a nice advantage to have, but there was a great fight back from the England batters' second innings to get get to a nice lead. Um, Ollie Pope, exceptional innings. The way they played the spin through there was amazing. And then Hartley was was exceptional on debut, and, and they all kind of chipped in. It's a good test match win, but let's see how India bounce back because um, they definitely will. I'm glad you've said that because it is a five-test series, so there's plenty yeah, of time uh, for India to come back in their home conditions. Mm. I guess the concerning things for India is Virat Kohli is missing the next test still and Ravindra Jadeja and Kale Rahul are both injured from the second test. So India are a little bit vulnerable, but I'm still, you know, I'm I'm a, a massive Indian fan now. Like I'm going to mm. be in blue watching the games. You know, you know the the blue fireworks that went off when Australia yeah. won the World Cup. I'm going to have them in the backyard every time India win a game now because it just can't go on. I think that'll be the difference then. I think they're they're hot favourites because of that. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> so, so so looking at the Test World Championship table after Australia's loss, 
and this is one of the sort of vagaries of the table. Australia is still on top. They've played 10 test matches. They've won six. They've lost three, drawn one. So their winning percentage is 55%. So they're on top. South Africa are mm. second on the table. They've played two test matches. They've won one and they've lost one, yet they get second spot. New Zealand are in third spot and Bangladesh fourth spot, both with one win and one loss. So, so I guess that's where the test championship probably needs to develop a bit more. You know, some teams are playing a lot more matches than others. It seems a bit strange. Yeah, I can't get my head around that, actually, Menace, um, that you've said it. It's obviously a, a real unique criteria and process to reward the points in that in that system, isn't it? But, um, I mean, it's probably going to be hard in the future to have, you know, every test nation playing the same amount of tests. I think there will always will be some differences, um, scheduling and the difference between formats and stuff like that. But, um, yeah. It's interesting to know the criteria there and unique and um, interesting, isn't it? Do you know? Anything, do, you, do you know how it's kind of rewarded? Like how? Well, how- the, the, yeah, they do it on. You know, they have the future tours program, and the minimum yeah. is two test series, and you have to play. Are you drawn against certain teams in the two year cycle, and you have to play them in a minimum of two tests, and it's determined whether it's home or, or away. Um, but but then you have the things like you know Australia plays a five test Ashes series. We play mm-hmm. four. Well, we're going to play five tests against India next summer. So some teams are, are playing more, and then they just weighted on win percentage. But it, it just seems a bit strange. Um, mm-hmm. On the bottom of the table though is Sri Lanka with um, two wins and two sorry two matches and two losses, and England is second from the bottom, six matches, three mm-hmm. losses. Sorry, two losses, three wins. I'll get some of these right eventually. Um, so, you know, England down the bottom, which is heartening. Um, Australia at the top, but a long way to go. So, mm. And that's where, so, the, you know, the, the win against, the loss against the West Indies in that final test match, it may come back to bite Australia at the end of this test championship cycle. If they just miss on the fine, out on the final, they'll look back at the points they didn't get at the Gabba and think, what might have been. I guess that's that's the bigger picture for the loss on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I think in saying that, um, they yeah, they wouldn't be thinking about that now, would they? They'd be, you know, they'd be thinking how they're gonna brush themselves off and go and play a really good series in New Zealand. So um let's hope that it doesn't come back to bite us when it comes to the World Test Championship. Um I think there's good cricket ahead for us. So I, I believe it won't. Um but Credit to the West Indies as well for, you know, causing a big upset at the Gabba. Oh, absolutely. And there's been some fallout from the Gabba. Now, when you're at the Adelaide Strikers, uh, your assistant coach, Tim Payne, um, great character, and he's got a radio station in, a radio show in Tasmania, and he wasn't very happy with some of the Australian players barracking for the West Indies on Sunday. Have a listen. Performance. And I don't like. I just don't like it. It feels a bit uncomfortable. It's like, why are you barracking against your team that you played in? So that was Tim Payne there um, having a go at some of the commentators. You know, like players, you know, people like Adam Gilchrist. And Adam Gilchrist was like hugging Brian Lara when Australia lost. So I get where Tim Payne's coming from. He's just retired. He was the Australian captain. It probably feels a little bit uncomfortable for him to start barracking by other teams, but I can also understand if you're a commentator 
and a spectator. You can objectively step back and detach that patriotism and go, this is great for cricket. This is a great story. I'm really, I'm disappointed we lost, but I'm really happy for people like Brian Lara who've been coming here for 30 years and haven't seen a win. So I, I, I don't know. I like Tim Payne. I think he's very interesting on the radio. I think he might have got that one wrong. Yeah, I think I can understand both points. I think Tim's Tim's great and he's only fresh out of the game still, isn't he? So that's mm. where that probably where that passion comes through is is understanding that he led that, you know, he led that team, he led that Australian team in a tough time and um got them back to where they needed to be and it, and it hasn't been long since he's been out of it. So he would probably feel he'll, in a way it probably feels like it would be a loss to him sometimes and uh, an unacceptable loss. So I can understand he's fresh out the game. He's still passionate. It's a team that he led. Um, and then I can also understand guys have been out the game a lot longer than Tim. Um, more from a spectator's point of view, I guess, understanding that probably going into that series and that test match, it was like, oh, you know, this is going to be a bit of a whitewash. Suddenly we have a really good game on our hands at the Gabba. And that probably just engaged them a little bit more. You know, in saying that, that probably engaged them a little bit more, took them by a little bit of a surprise, and suddenly they had a really good game of cricket um, and they were, you know, supportive. I don't think they were barracking for the West Indies. I just think they were supportive of a nation who did something special and haven't done for a while. Um, So I think they're both a little bit different um, opinions coming from a little bit different, um, I guess, life stages, perspectives in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way Payne has a crack on the radio. I think he's really interesting. Yeah. He's very opinionated. He's actually radio shows one of the better ones in, mm. in the country in the morning. So it's a good on him. Um, and then as well, like Shamar Joseph and the West Indies, they bowled really well on that last day. Like we'll talk about Australia's batting lineup, but just in isolation, I think Australia were just beaten on the day with a great performance. There wasn't a lot of terrible shots. It wasn't like Australia had a real shocker. I mean, there was some genuine corker of deliveries from Joseph. Absolutely there was. And, you know, that needs to probably be, um, you know, the credit that needs to be given to to him and his spell. The story, obviously the story around Tamar Joseph has come out, which is also really cool and captivating. And, you know, not not only that, he sounded like he had a bit of a broken toe on the day. Mm. Um, So a lot of things to like about, the story behind the victory, uh, the story behind him and Ebola. But as you said, I think that, you know, Australia were outdone by um, some really good bowling on that day and some corkers and special spell and um, it got him home. Now, Shamar Joseph said the team doctor gave him a few magic pills to get him on the field. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever, you know, been given a pill to just get, get through the pain? Uh, no, I have to work out what those magic pills are that suddenly make you bowl 145 rockets and with a broken toe. Yeah, and broken toe, knock stumps over. It must be that must be a serious pill. That I was thinking it might be something like Panadine Ford or you know something yeah. with a lot of codeine in it because when when well, Joseph I thought it might have been injected. Like I thought he he must have had an injection in there. Maybe trying to really well, pills. Said a couple of pills before he went on, a couple more at fine leg when he was fielding. They gave him some more. Okay. So I reckon it was like some Panadine Ford some or something gear. super strong. Maybe yeah. the drug test will come out and he'll be rubbed out of the game for you. <laughs> um, but I'm joking, of course. Um, 
but he was, you know, he was a bit loopy at the press conference afterwards. You know, those pills with a lot of codeine can send you a bit haywire. Like he, mm. he said he's not going to play T20 cricket. He's always going to be, no, he said he's always going to be available for the West Indies and he's not going to take the big T20 dollars. But I, I just wonder when that contract is put in front of him, hey, come and play in this country and we'll pay you, you know, a few, say, half a million bucks, he'll just go, oh, no, no, no. Uh, so it's interesting. <laughs> Time will tell. Yeah. Um, and so speaking on the theme of being a bit too chummy, a mate of mine texted me because after the win, Pat Cummins put a photo of him and Joseph that swapped shirts. And this this cantankerous friend of mine was like, oh, look how chummy Cummins is with the opposition. Uh, surely he should be hurting after a big loss. And I wrote back to my friend that, you know, you can – you can still be hurting and exchange shirts and take a photo with someone. Like, like I think that's one of the, the good things about Cummins is that yeah. he does understand the bigger picture and he, he is able to put aside, you know, his own personal anguish at losing. I'm telling you, it would have been there. Like, there's no doubt he would have been pissed that they didn't win. Um, you know, that's the first test he's ever lost at home since being captain. So I think you can put that aside and still go into the dressing room and go, well done, mate, here's my shirt. Uh, you know, loved what you did. Yeah, I think I agree. I think it shows really good character. And what I think and what I think people don't understand is that these West Indies guys coming from a very different place than than the Australian cricketers, but I think they they would idolise the Australian cricket team. You know what I mean? They would idolise mm. Pat Cummins. They would idolise these guys that they're playing against. So for Pat to then show that kind of character is huge because these guys are, you know, the heroes to the West Indies probably. Um, they're thinking far out, you know, I'm playing Smith and Cummins and all these guys, we're coming up against them. And, and to then go and show some character, obviously build a bit of relationship in there and, you know, give them credit the way they're played, that, that says a lot to one about Pat Cummins, I think, is character off the field and ability to lose well and, and two, probably about, you know, helping those guys on their careers a little bit, um, given that he's probably a role model to all those guys in that team. Absolutely. It's just good sportsmanship. And, mm. you know, I think it's really clear, and you can probably speak to this more being a professional cricketer, but you can still be ultra bloody competitive on the field and yeah. really want to win and give your best and still Absolutely. come off the field and be mates with people. Like, that. that's... Yes. In fact, sometimes when you're against your mates, you're even more competitive. Absolutely you are. But, yeah, definitely agree. Definitely agree, Venice. Um, so I guess the other thing that's been discussed and there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the inconsistency of Australia's batting lineup over this summer, so going back to the series against Pakistan and then into the two against the West Indies. And I've got some figures here. So the leading run scorer across the five tests was Mitch Marsh, with 380 runs and an average of 54 with four half centuries. So no player topping 400 runs over five tests is, is probably disappointing for the batting lineup. And the fact that there are only two centuries across the summer, one from Warner, who's now retired, and, and one from Head, that I think the, the number of centuries would also be concerning because centuries are what win games of cricket. Yeah, that's right. Big centuries, big partnerships, isn't it? I think you're right. I think there was... Um, there would have been a few half centuries and some 80s and stuff, but 
Um, yeah, not the big hundreds that we, we usually see um, in tests, you know, our test summers on, on the and our conditions, um, isn't it? So I'm sure, yeah, they would all be disappointed a little bit, as you said, that they didn't quite have their best stuff. Um, but, yeah, they'll bounce back. Yes. Um, and so just looking down the figures, Usman Khawaja, 359 runs at just under 40 with two half centuries across the summer. He got a lot of starts, a lot of scores in the 30s and 40s. Steve Smith, 314 runs. Warner, 299 runs. He's now retired. Labashane, 226 runs at just over 28. And Travis Head, just an even 200 runs at 25 across the long summer. And, and I think we did see a little bit of the fatigue, the mental fatigue, maybe catch up with the batting order this summer because last year was full of the most intense cricket imaginable. The Tour mm. to India, the Ashes, the World Cup. I mean, that is draining stuff. I'd have three of those back to back to back. I do think it had an effect on this team. You know, it's not to make excuses, but I'm, I'm looking for reasons why, you know, a star-studded batting lineup with many of these players averaging, you know, 40s, high 40s, some over 50, why they perform like this. And, you know, I sort of think that they should have a break. And I think Crash Craddock said, um, even Marnus, who played a Shield game after the World Cup, said to a player, maybe I shouldn't have played this game. And if Marnus is saying that, who plays every game imaginable, maybe it just did catch up with them. Yeah, as you said, it was a massive year for them, wasn't it? Like high-intensity cricket, physical, mental, a um, lot of high emotions through the success that they had, um, ashes in the World Cup, far out, yeah. So there has to be a bit of fatigue, the level that comes into it, as you said, men, as I totally agree, and they're human beings, they, you know what I mean? It does catch up with them. Um they obviously carry themselves extremely well. They know it's part of the job, the travel and the playing a lot, and they wouldn't change it for a world, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, potentially they were just under a little bit more fatigue. Um, and as a batter, you know what I mean, it only has to be a little bit where your decision-making isn't just quite right, even on one ball. Um, that's the, at test cricket level. I'm sure it's, you know, it's that. Um, it can be down to those tiny, small margins of error in a way. So, um Oh, yeah, I agree. Fatigue would have come into it. What do you think of the move to put Smith up the top and Green at four? Did you like it? Yeah, I did like it. I think Green is an incredible player. Um, he has the numbers on the board in terms of shield cricket, the evidence that, you know, he scores big hundreds. He obviously got 100 in Sri Lanka. He bowls fast. He bowls handy overs. He's a great fielder. He needs to be in the team and he can be in the team for a very long time. Um, Carney. So I really, I, th- I think that's great. You know, I guess it was either put him at four or maybe open the batting with him. So that were the kind of options. And I probably preferred the option of having him at four, uh, understanding that Smith's incredible and um, Smith can open the batting because he's, he's that good and he would really in- embrace and be stimulated by that challenge. So yeah, we've only seen it for two tests, but I think we, you need, we need to see it for a, a bit longer, yeah. and I think it, I think it can work. Mm. And Andrew McDonald was asked after the test match, you know, if he's happy with the shape of the batting lineup, and I don't. There'll be no changes. They've got two tests in New Zealand next month. That you know, they're they're really set on this batting lineup, and then we've got five tests against India next year. But I mean, they could tinker with the order before next summer if Australia were to have some bad results in 
New Zealand. But, you know, looking over the last year, I guess the, the one area of concern is Manus Labuschagne at three. 16 test matches in the last year, 944 runs at an average of 35 with 106.50s. So he's McDonald backed him in the press conference, but he would probably be disappointed with those figures. And it was interesting, Mark Wall made some comments about a technical flaw he noticed in Marnus that he was coming across the ball when defending short of elite deliveries. He was getting a bit squared up, sort of coming across the line of the ball rather than through the line of the ball. Um, but but I, it goes back to what I said before. I think some of these players will really benefit from this break coming up now. Um, and mm. I think Marnus is one of those because he, he, he almost he tries too hard sometimes. Mm. How long is the break that they get to have? Well, I think there's a, a month until they go to okay. um, New Zealand. But then, I mean, I'm sure they'll play some of the Shield stuff. But as you would well know, the the intensity and the, you know, the, the, it's not quite the same furnace as playing Test cricket. So um, maybe he can just have a few weeks tinkering with his game at Shield level and um, that'll be good for him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good size break, I think, for sure. Um, yeah, well, I think with Mann is that we're, we're, we're probably so used to, people are so used to him averaging 65, 70 almost there for a few years is that when he, you know, had a bit of a leaner period, it was still averaging 35, which is, it's not dire straits at all. Um, so just understanding that, yeah, it's been a little bit leaner, I guess, but we're also coming off the back of probably comparing him to being, you know, averaging 65, 70, mm. which is just kind of unheard of. So um, I hope people understand that a little bit. Um, yeah, he'll be tinkering a little bit. I know he'll be tinkering a little bit. He always does. And that's one of his that's one of his strengths um, that he does is he knows his game inside out. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to tinker. He enjoys that process. So he will be tinkering now and um, he will he will score test hundreds very soon. I'm, I'm sure of it. Good backing your fellow Bulls teammate. Yeah, I, I said this after the the test on the weekend. I just think the batting lineup is kind of a bit on notice now. You know, I think they'll be they'll be under the microscope, and you know, at some point, you know, Manus will just have to take an uptick of form because you need your number three. You sort of want averaging over forty consistently, um, but yeah, that that sort of um, there's certainly no panic stations from the Australian cricket team and McDonald, but I think, um, you know, the, the, they need to win. Like that, that's just the way it goes. Like, you know, it's all hunky-dory until you start losing and then uh, everyone starts pointing fingers. Mm. What was, though, extraordinary this summer? And I think this is a summer to celebrate our baby attack. Hazelwood mm. took 25 wickets, Cummins 24 wickets, Lyon 21 wickets and Stark 20 wickets. They were just incredible to watch. They further underlined how good they are. And, you know, I think this was this was their summer. You know, while the batters took a bit of a back seat, we saw some just awesome bowling from all four. Incredible. Yeah, incredible bowling from all four and how consistent they've been for such a long time and and even how resilient their bodies have been, like, um, is incredible testament to, their, I guess, their physicality, their preparation, recovery, their um, profession, professionalism. So, 
they're an incredible bowling attack. Um, there's guys sitting outside that are also incredible bowlers that can't get in, and that's a good sign of 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 how good they are. And um, I think yeah, they'd be part of us winning Test matches. Absolutely, and you know I think, and I've said this consistently for a while. I think this Australian cricket team is, uh, if you look at them across all three formats, they're just a, a great team. The fact they win a T Twenty World Cup, win a Test Championship, win a Fifty Over World Cup, they're a great cricket team. But I think they're not in isolation a great Test team. Like they're just a you know excellent one of you know very good one, but. If you look at their results in the last year, they're just a very good test team. But if mm. you put it all in together, like what makes last year so special for Australia is doing all that in one year, you know. Yeah. And I think that you've got to give them credit for that. And, you know, their test form I think is pretty consistent, you know. Mm. It's led by a great bowling attack and, you know, the batting is just, you know, a little bit hit and miss. But I th- that's some of the charm. I mean, Travis said can score two golden ducks in a row or hit 100 off 80 balls and win you a match. Like, he's, mm. that's that's the way he plays. Yep, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. So, great summer. Did, did you enjoy the test summer? I mean, I know you were busy playing and stuff, but, you know, I sort of looked back on it and people thought oh, I was going to be disappointing, but Australia won four tests. They only lost one. We saw some, you know, a couple of young quicks burst onto the scene. Amir Jamal for Pakistan, Shamar Joseph for the West Indies. David Warner got his glorious farewell. Nathan Lyon returned. Like, I think it was actually a much better test summer than people were expecting. Yeah, it was good. And it looked like there was good crowds as well, wasn't there? Good crowds, good cricket wickets, um, some good spells of bowling that, you know, you couldn't turn off because it was interesting with the wickets maybe giving a little bit of um, help to the bowlers. So, you know, good conditions as well. It wasn't real flat, docile. Um, Australian hot batting conditions. It was a bit, of, a bit in it for both and some good crowds. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good to see. was good indeed. So now they get a bit of a break. Speaking of breaks, mm. we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about the Big Bash. Straight up in the air. Man gets tight on the rope. Is this the win for the strikers? Is this the win for the strikers? <laughs> Uh, welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. That was my co-host today, James Baisley, pulling off an absolute ripper at Optus Stadium to end the Scorchers campaign. And it must have been um, sweet to do that after losing the Big Bash final last summer there and then going back there and getting a win with the Strikers. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to win over there um, for sure. So it did feel really special and it was a convincing performance. Obviously, we hit them with a lot of spin that night um, and just kind of took the pace off their their batters, which I guess loved the pace and just a really fun, good night. And, yeah, you, I haven't heard the crowd that quiet for a while. So that's um, that was really enjoyable. Obviously, they're a special team. They're a great crowd. They're tough to beat there. So that makes it, yeah, makes it more rewarding, I guess, more special. Mm, yeah, and you were that viral moment of the big bash that night, you know, that catch juggling <laughs> away on the boundary. It was a pretty good catch. You know, do you want to talk us through it? Oh mate, I'll I'll take it, that's for sure. I'll, it was a it was a good catch. It was great to to finish the game like that, I guess. Um 
Yeah, it definitely went up. I knew I was in obviously in a hot spot with Boise Barney's leg spin. Cooper Connolly needed to to hit sixes, and he definitely can. So I knew I was going to get get a ball come my way. Um, obviously, a bit of a miss hit, and all kind of went that way. I think yeah, we we do practice catches like that. I know maybe five six years ago a catch like that, you just everyone went crazy. But now it's almost like you see a lot of those catches, don't you? And they're quite clinical. Um, mm. they're, they're quite expected um, to be taken. So that's why we practice it on, in training with the ropes and with the the drills like that as we catch, you know, we practice the technique and staying calm and that ability to go over the rope and come back. Um, but it's nice to pull it off. Yeah, Michael Neeson makes a habit of doing them. He's taking yeah, he's some great catches. Yeah. And what I've noticed is more you always see the other boundary runner running towards mm. them to be ready for it a lot more than you used yeah. to. There's always someone there waiting for it. Yeah. Um, so it's a big picture stuff. From the outside, it looked like the Big Bash had even been more rejuvenated than it was last year. Like last year was a bounce back from the tough COVID years and we saw good crowds last year, but it felt to me watching that it even had more intensity, obviously a, a shorter um, schedule less games, but you know, as a player, could you feel the buzz? Mm, big time, yeah. Certainly felt that way too. Man, is um, great crowds, um, shortened tournament. We played ten games as opposed to fourteen. Obviously, the intensity was up from the first game. It needed to be, you know what I mean. Teams needed to win out the blocks. We didn't. You couldn't. Well, I know, you know, our season we lost four in a row and came back really strong. But, yeah, you needed to, to play well and come out the blocks well and get on a roll in a way. So that created a real high-intensity level of cricket. Crowds came through, um, you know, and it was a great spectacle. So I'd agree with that. It felt like it was, you know, bigger than last year and in a really good place. Mm. When you were nine and four, I decided not to message you for a while. I was just like, just... <laughs> we were, well, we won our first game. Obviously, we had a washout, and then we won, and then we lost four in a row, and then um, you know we came back strong, and that was always the plan. Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely. No. that did his plan lose four in a row. No, um, no, it wasn't. But yeah, I guess well. the only discussion around this big bash was maybe there needs to be something done with the overseas draft. And I know there was actually some stuff coming out of the strikers that it feels like the the overseas draft in, in in the big bashes sense is a little bit restrictive because that uh, clubs need to be able to negotiate with overseas players offer the multi year deals so that they can actually stick around for the whole tournament because you know we saw a lot of the best players sorry a lot of the overseas players leave for the back end of the competition for the finals. And there was discussion that if if clubs could negotiate more freely, maybe there'd be a chance to keep players for the whole season. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, yeah. There's there's probably something that needs to be you know spoken about around now. I, I like the draft. I think that's cool. And you know, is it is it a negotiation issue or is it a scheduling issue? You know what I mean? If you're, you're going to negotiate with players to try and keep them for longer, does that mean that they're not going to be able to go to the ILT 20 and play in that Mm. league, which they, you know, they won't want to do. So, you know, these players will want to play in the big bash and the ILT 20, like they want to play both. So is it more the crossover? That's the issue. If they're going to want to play both, you know, probably, Mm. um, can we, yeah, can we squeeze the final series 
you know, a bit closer. Obviously, we had the Perth test where we didn't have Big Bash for a while. At, at the Strikers, we had 10, you know, we had a 10-day break between round one and two. You know, yeah, we don't need a 10-day break um, in a Big Bash tournament. So can you, you know, can you get the finals in before the ILT20 starts where, you know, these players are going to want to go. That's a good high-paying tournament with a lot of overseas players. So um, I'm not sure the negotiation part of it is going to be the solution. It's if you're going to keep those players all the way to the final, I think you need to play the final before the IR220 starts. Yeah, and uh, Todd Greenberg, the ACA um, president, was talking about that. I think you're right that well, there'll be more traditional test summers coming up and there won't be that gap to play a Perth test and therefore you can even further compact the big bash. And you might have this great scenario where the Sydney test ends and you've mm. got maybe sort of two weeks of competition, including the finals. So you end mm-hmm. sort of, you know, around that 20th of January when the ILT20 is sort of kicking off. And and then you'll have the double whammy, you have your overseas players, and then you get maybe, you know, the test starts back, you know, six or seven of them into the club. So we could actually have a scenario in the next two years where, the competition at the pointy end is super strong, which I think is what people yeah. want because I'm like watching the Sixers play in the finals. I'm like, why is Jack Edwards all of a sudden open the batting? Oh, that's right, James Vince is gone. And, mm. you know, I just think um, it would be better for the competition if they can stay till the end. Yeah, I think there's a solution there and I think they can work through it. As you said, it's more of a scheduling and, um, you know, working out the best fit. Mm. Um, so tell me, how was the move to the Strikers? Yeah, it was very enjoyable, thank you. Um, a lovely place to play. Obviously, first of all, the Adelaide Oval was extremely special. The fans are great there. The facilities are, are amazing. It was a great group group of guys, manners. The coaches were good. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the, the change that was. It's an easy city to live in. It's a great city to live in. Um, there's enough there to, to do. And so, yeah, it was, it was really good. The move was really good. Oh, that's good. And everything I've seen, you know, heard and spoken to, like Jason Gillespie is a, a great leader as as coach. You know, he's he's very empowering to the players. I mean, you know, you wouldn't have worked with him that closely before. What was that like? Yeah, Jason was great. He he creates a relaxed environment. He creates a, a very inclusive environment. I'd like to call it. And um, I enjoyed. Yeah, working working under him. He had good assistant coaches around him, which were great too. Tim Payne, Carl Hooper, Ryan Harris. Um, so it was a great what group a team. of staff. Yeah, good group of staff as well, which really helped. And Dizzy kind of sits above that and likes to create, you know, a nice, relaxed, you know, inclusive environment, which is cool, and empower other coaches as well, I think, which is important. Was it good for your game to get some fresh eyes on it and a new environment? Yeah, it definitely was. I enjoyed working with Carl Hooper from a batting point of view, talking the game with him. He loves the game of cricket, as you know, as you can see. So great to talk cricket with him. Ryan Harris had, you know, been he'd been at the Bulls. Um, so I knew how he worked and he's a passionate coach who mm. also loves the game and um, you know, knows my bowling and knows a bit about my bowling and, and is good for the bowlers too. And Tim Payne was was awesome for the same reasons that he's was also that face who'd just kind of just been outside the game for not, not so long. So I think, so I found 
Payne to be really relatable in that way and he could sometimes see why guys were doing things in a way because he's probably been there himself. So he was that real relatable guy um, who hadn't been out the game for very long, who's captain his country and had some really good input leadership-wise and tactic tactically-wise. So um, it was a, a good group of stuff. Yeah, and a great, you know, performance from the team. You talk about four in, losing four in a row and then, you know, heading into the finals with a wet sail, beating the Scorchers at Perth. Uh, you know, getting to that final three of the tournament. I think it's the challenge yeah. of the game before the grand final. I always get confused. Yeah. Um, you know, to get to the challenger, um, just such a great performance. And then you came up against a rampaging Josh Brown on mm. the Gold Coast. Now, you obviously play all your cricket in Queensland, so you would know the big fella pretty well, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Not, not the first time I've seen a rampaging Josh Brown, for sure. Yes, and... You know, when you were coming, you know, when you're coming in there and he was just smoking balls all around um, Heritage Stadium in the Gold Coast, were you, were you just thinking, is this how, like, what were you thinking? Because he is a bit of a beast. He is a beast, definitely. Um, as I said, I've seen it, yeah, more than just that night. Um, yeah, Brownie was dangerous. And you could tell that, I guess, he hadn't had, you know, he hadn't had a huge impact through the tournament. Um, and I know the game before, it was obviously a very hard conditions and he was swinging and missing a lot. Um, it looked like he came into this game with a real measured approach of, you know, staying still and, and giving himself a little bit of time. And then kind of the wicket did play a lot better that night as, as, ex- as we expected it would. And once he found out it was quite true. And then once Josh Brown gets away, super hard to stop in those kind of moods and, um, played some ridiculous cricket shots. He's such a strong man. Um, and sometimes, yeah, it's tough to know where to bowl to him. He had some luck and you need that. A um, couple of balls going up and landing and and whatnot. But, yeah, he, he put on a show and, you know, took the game completely away from us. I imagine he belts around great attacks in Brisbane grade cricket on those small grounds. <laughs> he, he has done, yes, definitely. So what a story though. Now I think he's been signed in the Bangladeshi Premier League. I mean, I mean, this is sort of um, you know, a, a beautiful story. I don't know if you saw the images of his mum at the ground and um, you know, having to get time off work to go to the grand final. I mean, you know, it was not it's nice to see um him go from I wouldn't say rags, but rags to riches in in just overnight. Like in a couple of knocks, all of a sudden he's on the T20 circuit. I mean, do, do you think he's got the game to sort of adapt to different conditions? You would have seen it. Or what will the challenges be from what you've seen? I think the challenges will be that, won't it? It would be adapting to different conditions and, and staying true to yourself and your game, um, you know, when things aren't quite going your way, which I think Josh does really well is – you know, he goes out and he just loves hitting sixes and he tries to hit sixes. He knows that that's not that that might be a little bit inconsistent at times, but he also knows is that when he gets it right, he gets 140 off 60 balls and he wins himself, you know, wins his whole team a final. So understanding that, staying true to himself and hopefully he gets around, you know, coaches and everyone who back, you know, back in, back in with that same philosophy and, also in saying that, you know, he gets better at what he needs to get better at and he makes mistakes and learns from them mm. and grows and, yeah, he can, he can be great. Is he There's in no the Queen? No, is he in the Queensland squad? He's not contracted in the Queensland squad. Um, he obviously comes to our trainings and he's around a bit. Um, 
I'm not sure he has a I'm not want to speak out of place for, for Josh, but I don't, I don't know how much he loves the longer form of the game. Um, yeah. You'd have to ask him that, but um, I know that he's <laughs> he he smacks that he loves T20. He, he has a picture in mind, you know, of being a T20 circuit, you know, player. So maybe that's like, you know, more of a Tim David mold where he's, you know, saying no to the longer format and he's, you know, he's going strictly white ball, shorter format, which is, you know, nowadays in cricket, it's a it can be a really fruitful career, and um, yeah, he might just might just go that way. There's no reason why he can't play, you know, one day cricket for Queensland. However, and I'm sure he get his chance to do that as well. And even now, like, it doesn't even you now if the test selectors think you're good enough, they'll pick you whether you've mm. played, um, you know, a, a lot of first class cricket or not. The, now the landscapes really change because yeah, what I think is. Um, and this is no – but I think, you know, him being in a professional in, environment for, a, yeah. you know, a little while and um, being able to work on his fitness and stuff, but like, and this is, um, you know, not a knock on him, but, you know, you could tell he was really gassed by the end of mm-hmm. his – he was even gassed when he got to 50 at the SCG. Like him being able to really concentrate on his fitness, for example, I think could really – like his game just up that step. I mean, yeah, definitely. And that's what I guess being, as you said, being around a professional environment more, you know, would do that creates an environment where you can, you can do things like that, um, you know, which is a privilege. So yeah, I wish him all the best Brownie. He's a great guy as well for the field. He's, he's relaxed. Um, obviously, you know, the story about him making cricket bats, he makes good cricket bats and he's done great for Cooper cricket. He's really put them on a map through Big Bash, which is also great, a great story, great to see. So, um, yeah, I wish him all the best. So what's the debrief like when you finish the season at the Strikers? You know, do, do the, the, boy, the, the boys sit around with you, Dizzy and the coaches and say, okay, this is what we want you to work on for next year. Well, how does that work? Um, there wasn't, we haven't had any specific individual kind of meetings or debriefs. I'm sure that they, you know, you know, might happen or as a player myself, I can get feedback or I can make, you know, I can definitely get feedback if I'd like to. The debrief that night was, was very positive. Um, you know, making sure we understand that we, you know, weren't in a great place halfway through the season and the way we came back and got on a roll and got to, you know, third place was very positive, you know, beating, Perth in Perth and doing things like that made us believe and understand, you know, we can beat any team anywhere on our night. So taking that away um, and then individually, it's firstly up to you to reflect, isn't it, and understand where you could have been a bit better and what you'd like to do differently or or work on um, and then getting feedback from coaches if you if you want like that and and then moving on, but your fond memories, like we were, as you said, we lost four in a row, but there was, there was things we need, needed to polish up definitely, but Shorty was great because Shorty and Dizzy, there was obviously disappointment there, but they did actually always reiterate the fact that, you know, we were really close to playing really good cricket. You know what I mean? There was a couple of things that didn't go our way and we were losing. We had a couple of close losses. You know, the messaging was really positive around, you know what, we're really close here and, and, and that, that was really positive. That held us together. And then we knew that, all right, well, let's just execute a little bit better and, and we can get on a roll and then we, you know, can get on a roll. So that was that was really good leadership from Shorty and um, the staff through there just to mentor 
didn't go all pear shape. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the figures, and it seemed like from from your performances, you didn't get a lot of time in the middle. Like when you came in, it was always mm. just start slogging most, you know, most of the time. So, um, and then you bought a lot of tough overs. You know, a lot of mm. tough overs when the batters were going. Um, mm. So it wasn't yeah, exactly. No, no, it wasn't an easy campaign personally. I think, yeah, I didn't get a heap of opportunity with the bat. More so or not, it was because of how well we were batting. Like I never got, I never even batted at the Adelaide over once because we'd only lose three wickets yeah. or four wickets. So that's yeah. a really good thing. Um, obviously, there was plenty of time, or a couple of times coming in at seven where, you know, it felt like it was a lot to do. I know, I know last game we needed, you know, 19 runs and 18, 19 runs and over. Um, kind of thing. So that's that's the nature of batting seven. It's that it's quite inconsistent outcome based. It's just more about how can you make a little mm. bit of an Im- impact, however that looks like. Um, and then getting when you get your get your moment and you get your night, maybe come in a bit earlier, etc. Or really finishing games off. And then yeah, the bowling, as you said, tough overs there. But you know you got to be able to bowl them, and they're what I enjoy bowling. Um, and yeah, this, my execution wasn't quite up to my standard that I think that's made me so good is just my execution in terms of being so good at length control and accuracy, whereas probably one or two bad balls and over where, as you know, on these grounds and these players, you can't miss by too much. So um, that's the takeaways for me. But um, there was also plenty of good overs and plenty of good wickets in there too. Absolutely. And what I enjoyed was you're so calm and relaxed on this podcast, but you know, a few times you were really bloody fired up, which was great mm. to see. You know, you were Absolutely. right into it. Um, so what was it like? You know, obviously you came up against your old team, the Heat, and then they go on and they, they win the title. Um, mm. I guess mixed emotions. I mean, you've got a lot of mates in that team, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. I think coming up against them, I you know, really wanted to – you know, beat them and get into that final like you do any team. Um, but, yeah, once playing them, they obviously defeated us. Then, you know, I really thought that, yeah, this team's going to be hard to beat even in Sydney. Um, yeah, it's great to see from a off-the-field personal, you know, friendship point of view. It's good to – I'm happy for my mates. As you said, there's a lot of mates in there. And, you know, credit where credit's due. They had such a good season. They're deserving winners. Um, they won nine out of ten league games. Um, finished top of the table, um, lost a couple, but came back well and won the final. So just deserving winners, the Brisbane Heat mm. this year. Happy for my mates. And, you know, that bowling attack is special. <laughs> um, and I think really carried them there from from my conversations I've had is, you know, Munro was really good captain, really good to play under, created a great environment for them. Um, he obviously left, but he had a big impact early and then, um, Josh Brown turned it on last couple of games and their bowlers. So deserving winners, they had a great season. One of your mates, Matty Renshaw, had a, a good final. Here he is on yeah. the SCG. They, there he is. I've got to say, they were stoked. I mean, they should be. They won the big bash. Yeah. But, you know, it's, I think there was a real sense of joy from the Heat guys because you know, it's been a long time since they won a, a big bash and, Mm. You've know, been so close a couple of times, especially, you know, last year. Um, yeah, there was a real nice vibe around. And, you know, that's coming from a New South Welshman talking about Queenslanders. So, <laughs> so there you go. Must have been yeah. good. Sorry to bring that up, that photo. No, up. no, no. Could be you yeah. next year. Hope, exactly. it's you. Hope it's you next year at the SCG with the, Absolutely. With the trophy. 
Yeah. Um, big chance. Um, so, yeah, that was a big bash. Um, I guess finally, um, and I've said this, I've been I've been finally won over to the power surge. You know, I've been <laughs> dead against the power surge, you know, almost as much as I'm against the POMs. And I, I sat down with Trent Woodhill, who's kind of a technical director of Big, Big Bash. He advises on things like this. And yeah. he explained to me why they have the power surge and why it's different to international cricket and why it works well for the Big Bash. And, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm now just neutral. Like if they took the power surge away, I wouldn't care, but I also don't hate it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good manners. Yeah, he just explained that, you know, in 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 domestic, especially in the big bash, batting lineups aren't as long. So if you have a six over power surge and you lose a few wickets early, it can really kill up a contest. Um, but mm. unlike say the IPL and international leagues where they bat down to, you know, nine or ten, they don't have such a dramatic effect on the result early wickets. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, that's a good way to yeah, put it. Growth, growth, James, growth. That's good growth, growth for growth. me, mate. Good growth for yeah, me. I need to about the palms, maybe get there eventually. No, All right, I want to wrap this up. <laughs> Just a quick look at um, there's Australia playing West Indies in some one-day international starting this week, and then they move into a T20 series. But there's a few players being called up. First one, I want to ask you about Xavier Bartlett, your Bulls teammate. Mm-hmm. What, what did he offer? Uh, X offers a lot, definitely. Obviously, he had a great big bash. Big X, yeah, a great big bash, wasn't it? And you can see what he offers from yeah. a bowling point of view. But great. He's just a great man, X. Um, is he fast he medium? It. So is he about that 135, 140? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not rapid. Um, he'll probably build, faith, build, build pace. Um, he's had some back issues, but he's fit and firing now. He swings the ball. Obviously, you saw that he... Had some, you know, some death success um, in his death overs in the big bash with some slow balls. So he offers a lot like that. Obviously, Australia see him as an emerging player. They see him, you know, see this as a bit of a series to maybe give him a bit of a, a look into it and build him up. So, um, but off the field, he's a great man. He's funny. Um, he works really hard, loves the game, learns well. Um, his batting's come a long way too. So he, he likes to chip in with low order runs and, um, definitely see him playing lots for Australia in the future. Yeah, excellent. They've also mm. called up um, Victorian all-rounder Will Sutherland. So that's a, a good pick. I think he's a you know terrific prospect as well. But I'm most mm. excited about the rooster, Jake Fraser McGurk, being mm. called up. Did, did you have to bowl to him in the big bash? Yeah, I did have to bowl to him in the big bash. Um yeah, fearless, isn't he? Like, just fearless. Um, yeah, took it on. Nice position to come in and bat at three and play that way. And looks like he, you know, he's backed by the Renegades to play that kind of role and backs himself to do it. And um, he was exciting. Some clean ball striking in there from a young player coming through. And um, obviously, yeah, Australian selectors have seen a lot in him. So we'll see how he goes. He's got a beautiful bat swing. It's yeah. sort of when he gets going, it's sort of between golf and cricket, the way he hits through the line and follow through and follows mm. through. You know, he's not a huge guy. You know, I met him, interviewed him before the big bash at the launch, and he's 
you know, not he's tall, he's not massive, but mm. he hits them miles. Clean bat swing, isn't it? It's quite still and stable through his through his bat swing and um, hits square really well at Marvel um, and just a good time with the ball. So, yeah, he's an exciting prospect for sure. Yeah, certainly add some spice to this um, one-day international series, see some of these mm. youngsters perform. I will certainly be watching. And just last thing before we wrap this up, I mentioned on um, Sunday that in women's cricket, hist- history was made three times on Sunday. It started off the South Africans women team beat Australia for the first time ever. Friend of the show, Laura Vulvart, is the skipper now. And Australia made six for 142, but then Vulvart helped South Africa chase down the team. Vulvart was 58, not out. Tasman Brits 41, not out. And, and I just think it's great for international cricket. I mean, it's not great for the Australian team to lose, but the fact that South Africa could never beat Australian white ball cricket, you know, it's good that that's been um, overturned because it just means it'll just adds more to the competition. And, mm. you know, do you think Australia in the women's team has come a little bit back to the pack since Meg Lanning retired? And, and I think that's expected. I mean, when you lose a giant of the game like Meg Lanning, it's going to leave a hole, especially as the captain too, right? Probably yeah. the best batter, the best batter, and your captain. Like how much of a hole that would leave, definitely. So um, they'll re- rebuild a little bit under new leadership and get back to where they are. But as you said, there has to there has to be that little bit of period where you know the leadership, the new leadership might do it a little bit differently, or just find their feet, or feel the pressure a little bit of of feeling. Um, someone so good shoes. So um, there'll be that period of adjustment. Yeah, so that series is now locked at one all. We're recording this um, Tuesday afternoon, so it'll be play Tuesday night, the decider. But uh, good competitive series there. And you can see South Africa is a, a women's team on the rise, led mm. by Vulvat. So, yeah, great stuff. Well, that's it, Bays, for Cricket Unfiltered. Um, not quite as um, testing as the Big Bash coming on the podcast. Well, what's <laughs> well, the plan got... now for you? Back into Queensland training. We have Shield games coming up, one-day games coming up, trying to finish the year well. I'll, um, there's club cricket involved as well. So um, finishing the year well, Manners, and then probably having a little bit of a break. Oh, yeah, you got plans for the winter yet? I'm um, not totally sure. Um, we'll see. I, I was originally thinking I might go back to England. I'm not sure now. We'll wait and see if there's any deals that come up with that. Um, otherwise, I might yeah take a little bit of a rest. I've had a few body issues this year, a few niggles, so I might, just, might need to get the feet up a little bit, play a bit of golf and relax. Excellent. Well, James, thanks for joining me on Cricket Unfiltered. It was great to hear about your big bash. Congratulations. You made the last three. Let's hope next season it's one better for the strikers. Absolutely. Um, well, two better. Well, one game better, but two spots better. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Menas. Thanks, guys. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.